Welcome to the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. Your weekend wake-up tradition for the last 30 years. It's Rosie on the House. Well, we're back in the same situation we were last week, Gary. I've got nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I can hear you just Anyway, fine. here we go. Now I'm on. Just stay away from the buttons, babe. Well, I know, I know. That's exactly the lesson I need to learn. That's what Gary last, does. Last yeah. week they had my mic disconnected. I thought, uh-oh, Rosie didn't get the memo. Show canceled. <laughs> Good morning, y'all, and welcome to my house. It's Rosie on the house this beautiful Arizona Saturday morning. And I know... I know you're wondering, like you're always wondering, well, where's Rosie going to take us this 7 o'clock hour? <laughs> you have that look in your <laughs> eye. <Yeah. laughs> well, I'm going to take you on a magnificent journey to the origin of the universe. Well, that's a journey. Fasten your seatbelt. Shake your bed head off. This is your Weekend wake-up call. This is your Saturday morning tradition. We're celebrating our 30th year of being on air. And I've had this topic I wanted to talk about. I've never been able to find the expert to drag in the studio to visit about it. And we found one. And the topic is electricity. Now, I want you to stop and think about electricity. This is not a man-made product. It's a naturally occurring product physical phenomena it's an energy who who creates that energy it exists in the universe 1.21 gigawatts that's what i'm gonna generate that kind of power that's what i'm saying 121 gigawatts who or what creates the source of energy that electricity manifests Is, is lightning the universal key indicator that this energy even exists let's do a quick history of mankind's harnessing of this energy. When do you think humans first became aware of electricity? Romy, I'm going to throw that out to you. Let's, let's just say, let's go with the biblical thesis that men have been on earth as we know men today for roughly six or 7,000 years. In that six or 7,000 years, when did men first become aware of electricity. Is it recorded who the first person that was struck by lightning? Uh, I, I, you know what? I didn't go there. I didn't research that. Because it would have had to have been before Ben Franklin. He proved it with the key. Cause, but there obviously had to be talk about it for him to think, well, I've got to go prove this. He had to, he had to, he had to know something was going on. Yeah. Right? How about 600 B.C.? The man's name was Thales. He lived in the city of Miletus. Now, Miletus, prior to the Persian invasion in the mid-6th century, was considered the wealthiest and grandest city in all of Greece. And Thales was one of the seven sages of Greece. So we have one of the pre-Socrates sages in the wealthiest Greece city discovering static electricity. Now, that's a man with some time on his hands right there. And he does it by rubbing amber against his robe. What's amber? 
Do you know what amber is? And was this to clean the robe? Is this? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But amber is a stone, right? It's actually fossilized tree resin. So he's rubbing fossilized tree resin against his cloak and discovers static electricity in 600 B.C. It's 20. Because he didn't have carpet to screw around in his socks and put his fingers out. That's right. Exactly. It's 2,200 years later. Stick with me, people. Now, I told you I was going to hit you with something hard this morning. 2,200 years later, an English scientist, William Gilbert, coins the term electricus, which in Greek means like amber. In 1646 is the first time the word electricity shows up in print. 1752, Benjamin Franklin launches his kite. 1821, Faraday invents the electric motor. 1861, James Maxwell links electricity to magnetism. And 1870, we have the birth of the second Industrial Revolution, which driven by the harnessing of the naturally occurring phenomena we call electricity, and man has now figured out how to manufacture it, artificially manufacture it, and distribute it. 1870s. And now I'd like to introduce our electrical expert, Jacob Tetlow, who is the vice president of transmission and distribution of all electricity for APS. Good morning. Hey. That didn't hurt, did it? No, nah, it's not a, not a problem at all over <laughs> that, here. That doesn't scare you at all, does it? Oh, you got to get up to about five hundred thousand volts before you're even intimidated, right? Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> about where we start. <laughs> so I'm in my timeline up to about eighteen seventy. Okay. Uh, well, let me start with thank you for the opportunity to be here. Okay, and APS will pick it up right about Arizona Public Service picked it up at about eighteen eighty six. That's okay. when we started doing what we do. We started off as the Phoenix Illuminating Company, and we were turning on the lights in downtown Phoenix in 1886. Powered by what? Well, back in those days, you had different combinations of steam turbines. Okay. Um, you would have had small boilers that would have spun devices. Actually, in the really old days, you were using a piston and a flywheel to spin uh, a small generator. Okay. And you would have used steam with a series of shuttle valves to push that piston back and forth. In 1921, Albert Einstein is awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for discovering the photoelectric effect, which is the same technology that drives our entire solar panel industry today. 1921. Einstein. I would really have liked to have visited with him one-on-one. <laughs> Yeah, to, that would have been pretty cool. You know, he, just to, just to introduce just to introduce him to Cajun humor, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a rapid evolution of solid state devices, semiconductors, transistors, microprocessors, RAM, flash RAM, and the 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 question remains in Rosie's head: What is electricity? Jacob, the floor is yours. So it's just a couple electrons bouncing, you know, between atoms. It's really nothing more complicated than that. So, you know, think of it. I always tell people the easiest way to think of electricity when you want to manufacture it, when you want to make those electrons move between those atoms, is think of a conductor, a piece of wire, and then pass a magnetic field across it, and that will induce those electrons to start flowing. And there you go. You got electricity. It's that oh, simple. Oh, see, now you've got me on a bunny trail already. Magnetism. What's magnetism? 
Well, magnetism is, an, is a magnetic field. I know you can't answer it with the same definition. Gosh. <laughs> it's a field uh, that has poles, a north and a south pole to it, right? So magnetic fields uh, that occur naturally in some cases. You know, the Earth has a magnetic field, a north and a south pole. And so, you know, that lines, we call them lines of flux. If you pass them across the conductor, you make those electrons flow. And you can't have magnetism without gravity. What's gravity? Well, gravity is the natural force of attraction between any two objects in the state of physics. But, but who originates that energy source? Well, you're getting pretty deep for me here. <laughs> I should have warned you. Yeah. yeah. So without gravity, you can't have magnetism. Without magnetism, you can't have electricity. With electricity, it is, it, it is an energy that we've harnessed. And, and, and like, you know, like, uh, like Ben Franklin— He's suspicious of something. He's, I don't know what he's out there flying the kite in a storm for, but he's got a key up there, and, and, and something arcs between the key and his hand? Is that, is that what happened? Well, I think he's out there looking at lightning thinking, That's, that must be electricity. I'm trying to figure out how to get a piece of that electricity. How do I harness it, right? That was the beginning of learning how to harness it. And, and I bring this up because we had, what, 100,000 people in Maricopa County without power this week? Uh, between Arizona Public Service and Salt River Project, we were in that ballpark, yes. That's incredible. I wonder, I wonder when the last time we had that kind of an outage. Uh, for us, it would have been back in 2015 was the last time we saw a storm that looked like Monday night storm. That yeah. was a monster, wasn't it? It was. That was a significant storm that came through the Phoenix area. Well, you know, you've had a lot of people praying for rain. Well, they got it. <laughs> <laughs> they got the answer, right? Boy, it was delivered with a punch, wasn't it? I, I heard a report yesterday that this week's monsoon would rate as one of the very top, more destructive monsoons we've had in all of Phoenix in, in recorded history. I, I believe that. I, I've been doing this job for about six years at Arizona Public Service, and, and between the one storm in 2015 and the storm on Monday night, they were by far the two worst storms I've seen in six years. Was 2015 the year the interstate was flooded and all those cars got stuck? It is. It, we had some real heavy rains that yeah. year. Okay. Lots, of, lots of poles knocked down. I remember that. And talk about poles knocked down. Y'all are down, what, 200 poles in the storm? We lost about 230 poles in total between Sunday night and Monday night storm. So. And these are, these are single-leg poles? Yeah, these would be 45-foot, 55-foot, uh, what we would call distribution poles at 12,000 volts, or maybe some sub-transmission at 69,000 volts. We didn't lose any of our big high-voltage stuff. Now, I heard those big ginormous towers out in the West Valley someplace went over. Yeah, Salt River Project had a couple of their larger uh, high-voltage towers. What do you uh, call damaged. those towers? We call them lattice towers, generally, because they're kind of made out okay. of a bunch of steel bars all bolted together. It looks like a lattice. Sure. Uh, 170 feet tall. They're big. They're tall. What are they engineered to withstand? Generally, they're with engineered well over 100 miles an hour for a lattice tower. You you just don't see those things get damaged very often. I don't. We have not had a lattice tower with our territory damaged in over 10 years. And four of them go down. Yeah, they had four of them damaged. And then y'all lose 230. All wooden? Uh, no, actually, we lost some steel poles, too, which is not usual. Good Usually night. our steel poles hold up a little better than our wood poles. Uh, but we lost a, a fair number of steel poles as well. All right. We're here talking electricity. What is it? How do you make it? 
How do you distribute? Why is it important? I'm going to tell you why it's important to you, the Arizona homeowner. Take my dinner last night. Salmon, scallops, shrimp, rice. It took boating, flying, trucking, all the fresh food to get here to the middle of the Sonoran Desert. You know, it, it, it was eaten in a well-lit kitchen in a room that was kept at 72 degrees while it's in the high 90s outside. Jennifer has her Pandora playing, a Boss Skaggs collection. Uh, now, 300 years ago, Jennifer and I would have been sitting by a fire. She started by rubbing sticks together, eating a jackrabbit I would have just pulled out of the hole in the ground with prickly pear fruit and some mesquite beans with or without mold that could kill me. <laughs> That's the difference electricity makes. More when we get back. Rosie here from Rosie on the House. And, you know, y'all uh, regular listeners have heard the show grow from a one-hour show to a two-hour show, a three-hour show. And a couple of years ago, we expanded it to a four-hour show. And when the folks over at the radio station offered me that fourth hour, I made one condition. I said, okay, I'll take a fourth hour, but I want it to be on any topic I want. It's not going to be on home improvement. So we picked it out as a traveler of Arizona and a lover of Arizona somebody that's been here since the mid-60s, I said, we're going to have it, the Arizona Hour. People, places, and things of the great state of Arizona. And, Mr. Kimberly, I can't thank you enough for Sanderson Ford coming on as a recent sponsor of that show. We're going to have a blast with this. Rosie, there's no one that I'd rather ride with than you. Believe me, this is we are proud to be a sponsor. Uh, we're proud of our relationship. And, you know, this is a great state. And no one represents the state better than you, whether it's Crawdad Festivals <laughs> or, or whatever it may be. I mean, you do it. And uh, so we're very proud to be part of it. And, you know, you've, you've come a long way from one little station to and now to four hours and seven stations. And my gosh, we're just this is just incredible. Thank you for letting us be part of your show. Well, we certainly are humbled and, and love the partnership for sure. Y'all were the original sponsors of the Rosie on the House Arizona Staycation, and that's just gone over so well. The letters we get from people that show up on your lot to pick up that vehicle from the demo lot that they're going to be able to drive for a couple of days. And sweet Jennifer gives them a gas card, and Arizona Highway gives them gift books, and then we send them down the road to some location. That staycation has been a blast, and this new sponsorship of the 7 o'clock hour is going to take it to a whole new level. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're very proud to be part of it and uh, to share this great state of Arizona. And thank you as well. Cruising through the Arizona Hour with Sanderson Ford and Rosie on the house. Bringing it back to your house. From my house, Rosie on the house. Thank you for tuning in. Well, Jennifer, you think we got them awake? Did we wake them up in that first segment? I would sure hope so. And we got their attention? You got mine. <laughs> We're talking this morning with special guest from APS, Jacob Tetlow. He is the Vice President of Transmission and Distribution, which is, a, and, and, and when I talked to him in a little pre-interview earlier in the week, he says, yeah, I'm really not big on titles. Well, I think after my study, he can, we can actually lengthen his title. He is the Vice President of Transmission and Distribution and Director of All Paleontological Resources for APS. Because it all starts in 600 BC with Thales of Miletus rubbing amber on his token, uh, well, toga, right? Cloak, yeah. 
Sorry, Gary and I are working on cueing a special soundtrack up. Your research is up. Yes, I was listening to something else in my headset. I missed that. Amber is a fossil. So it all starts with a fossil and a toga with one of the sages of Greece. And we're here today with the sage of APS, Jacob Tetlow. Jacob, again, thanks a million for getting up Saturday morning and joining us. Appreciate it. Not usually called a sage, but I'll go with it. So how do you... If I want to be vice president of transmission and distribution of electricity, where do you go to school for that? How, what, how do you get there? From Well, here? my personal experience is uh, great education and over at Arizona State University in engineering. Okay. You start with engineering. Got to be electrical engineering, right? Uh, you can be. You can be mechanical engineer. You could be a civil, the electrical, chemical. It, it. We primarily will have electrical engineers in transmission distribution. But when you get to the power generation side, they're usually they got just as many mechanicals and a few civils and chemicals around. So, what flavor is your degree? I happen to be a mechanical, which makes sense. There, there's a lot of mechanical engineering involved in like just constructing those lattice towers, right? Yep, there sure would be. I mean, you got to know you got to know moments and frictions and a lot, a lot of devices a lot of equipment out there oh, power this, plants in particular have a lot of equipment in them this is taking me back to derivatives and calculus <laughs> uh, i got a headache all of a sudden yeah i'm getting one too out of that <laughs> idea <laughs> so mechanical engineering you come out of asu and aps says we're going to make you vice president of transmission and distribution yeah, it was kind of like that, except for I had to stop a few places along the way. Actually, my first job with APS was a boiler inspector. My job was to climb around big, giant boilers that are like 20 stories tall, and I had to inspect the tubes and figure out where to make repairs and help welders figure out what to weld up because those big boilers are where we would generate the steam that we'd send down to those big turbines to, to make the power. You're doing all this behind the scenes. There's a tremendous amount of resources committed to behind the scenes. So that when I'm at home eating that dinner I was talking about, and I want to turn the volume up on the Boss Gag songs I like so much, it's because of people like you in the background saying I can flip that switch, up that volume. Yeah, that's a it's a great perspective. Just like your meal, there's a lot of work that takes place in the background to make uh, the when you want that electric switch in the room to work every single time you flip the switch. There's a lot of work and effort behind that. You know, we got 6,400 employees at a various power plants and solar arrays, and we're doing lots of things to make all of that work every single time. And it's it's a lot. It's a lot to it. Okay. With all that said, yes, ma'am. I don't think any of us can really complain about our bills, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> you don't think so? No, that's pretty amazing. It it is pretty amazing. It really is. So. Making electricity. So we've got this natural occurring phenomena that mankind has figured out how to harness uh, and direct it. and But now we want to artificially manufacture it. Now, how many different ways can we manufacture electricity? You can make electricity lots of different ways. There's a lot of different options. Uh, we have a, you know, we operate Palo Verde Nuclear Plant. Happens to be the largest nuclear plant in North America. Very proud of the operation of that plant. It makes a large volume of electricity very reliably carbon-free, so that's one option. Okay. We have some coal-fired power plants. Coal in the United States uh, historically generated over half of all the electricity that the entire nation used. And while we're starting to pull back a little bit on coal, uh, we also generated on natural gas. 
we have a large uh, set of solar plants, both photovoltaic and concentrating solar. We you take the heat from the sun and, and you create steam. Uh, we also have some wind energy in our portfolio. So we look at it from a value of diversifying and trying to get a wide spectrum of energy sources and trying to get that right balance between, you know, a renewable source, a carbon-free source, and a, and a traditional source. And there's one power plant in the valley that actually is driven off methane gas being harvested from a landfill, right? That's right. You can use methane gas from a landfill, just like you would natural gas. Similar kind of opportunity. How creative is that? More with Jacob Tetlow, Vice President of Transmission and Distribution for APS, when we get back. Woo! Fire it up. Let's get, let's get the sparks flying. The tank is full, and we're moving through the Arizona Hour with Sanderson Ford and Rosie on the house. You must have been something before electricity, huh? Is that Rodney Dangerfield? <laughs> What's his line? From Caddyshack, he walks in and he tells the judge's wife, Hey, you really must have been something before electricity. <laughs> <laughs> and we're talking electricity this morning. Uh, it took me, I think, about a year and a half of asking, who can I get in the studio to talk about what electricity is? And I would ask everybody I knew. And finally, someone from APS calls me and says, I've got the perfect person for you, Jacob Tetlow, Vice President of Transmission and Distribution. Jacob, thanks a million for joining us. Thank you. Happy to be here. Hang on. Let me turn your mic on. Gary? There you go. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Happy to be here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We're happy to have you. Okay, so we talked about the different fuel sources for making electricity. Right. Um, I, I think we skipped hydroelectric. We did. So let me come back to That's that one. That's pretty significant for Arizona, right? It is. You know, we have the Colorado River all along our state. Uh, while APS doesn't own any of those hydro plants, we certainly do get the energy from a lot of hydro plants, from both along the Colorado River and up in the northwest of the United States. So part of what we do that maybe most people don't realize is while we do have a lot of power plants to make sure we can keep the lights on, we also participate in a market to make sure we're finding the most efficient energy we can find. So we'll buy uh, uh, renewables, we'll buy hydropower, whatever source of energy is the most efficient at the time. We participate in an intra-hour market where we literally can buy power like 15 minutes ahead of time. And we can figure out what the cheapest resource out there for our customers is. So we, we actively participate in the hydro space as well. Did y'all just hear what he said? So they're, and they're reading what they expect the electric demand to be in the next 15 minutes. And the power's out there kind of just existing on this grid. And you just say, I'll take a chunk of this produced by wind. I'll take a little bit of this by solar. Oh, I want some of that natural gas juice, too. That's exactly right. That's unbelievable. And, and so that Aunt Martha can turn her, her toaster oven on in Sun City. Yeah, we're doing everything we can to keep that bill just as, just as inexpensive as possible for the value we think we bring to the customer. Okay, so we have all these different fuel sources. Run it through it again. Natural gas, coal, hydroelectric, me, one methane plant, methane. I think, in town. Yep. What did I miss? Solar. Solar. So you got solar. You have a couple different Wind. forms of solar. You got photovoltaic solar. You have concentrated solar. So you can use it thermal, or you can use the radiant energy of the sun. Okay. Uh, you've also got wind energy. Uh, you've got biomass in some cases where people will literally, you know, burn trees or leftover slash out of the forest to to make. 
you really, if you think about it, all you got to do is make some steam or heat something up or have any kind of moving energy source. Because if you can spin something, you can make electricity. And now we're back to magnetism and gravity. That's right. Right? Yep. What are you spinning? Uh, generally, what you're really spinning is an electromagnet. So you think about a big shaft, a big, big, long piece of what looks like a giant pipe, and it's got a bunch of copper around it, and you energize it, and then you spin it. And when you spin it, you create that magnetic field, and you push that magnetic field through a whole bunch of copper wires, and out of those wires flows a whole bunch of electricity. Why does it have to be copper? Why can't it be recycled plastic? Because uh, copper is a much better <laughs> conductor than plastic. It could be aluminum, though. Okay. All right. <laughs> So we're back to magnetism and gravity. That's right. Yeah, and, why, and everything comes from the sun ultimately, right? Why don't, we, why don't we just drop this subject and start talking about dark matter? <laughs> we'll give it a try if you like. <laughs> Holy cow. So we're spinning copper around a pipe. It electromagnetically starts these particles moving, and then we send it in a specific direction. We don't want it to come backwards on us. That's right. One of the things that I, most people don't realize about electricity is it's like it's a commodity, right? You just make lots of electricity, lots of kilowatt hours. But the unique thing about our commodity is you have to make the exact amount your custom, customers need at the exact moment that they need it. That's mind-blowing. That's absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, just standing in the control room of Palo Verde is mind-blowing. Yeah, it's crazy how much equipment's out there, huh? That's absolutely crazy. And dials and gauges. I mean, you think NASA's complicated. This Palo Verde, NASA has got nothing on Palo Verde. I'm with you. I mean, it's really phenomenal. So you've got all this juice flying through, you call them lattice towers, the big, giant, enormous ones. Big, high-voltage power lines. And how much juice are you sending down those lines? So we measure in terms of megawatts, and so, you know, people usually think of watts on a light bulb, a 60-watt light bulb, and then, you know, there's 1,000 watts, that makes a kilowatt, and 1,000 kilowatts makes a megawatt. So we talk in terms of megawatts, and our system is about a 7,000-megawatt system. So that's a combination of power plants and energy purchases on the market, and we bring all that stuff together to make sure that we can serve that 7,000-megawatt load at that hottest day in June, July, or August. Our system is built for that hottest, hottest day that comes along. Romy, how many watts does it take to push a DeLorean into the future? 1.21 gigawatts. 1.21 gigawatts? How am I going to generate that kind of power? So we're sending this massive amount of energy and power down these ginormous transmission lines that go through some of the... I would have liked to have been a transmission line builder. You, uh, you end up in some of the prettiest places in all of Arizona, and remote places in all of Arizona. You do, because they traverse all over the uh, state of Arizona. We have about 6,000 miles of those high-voltage power lines woven across the state. Question for you. In the past, you know, years ago, they used to talk about, like, rolling brownouts and stuff from not having enough power. They don't seem to talk about that anymore. Are we just in a place where we don't need to worry, or...? Uh, that's a great observation. We don't talk about that too often because we do a really good job of making sure we have enough power generation combined with the markets that we all participate. Arizona happens to be connected to California, New Mexico, and part of what we call the Western Energy uh, Coordinating Council or part of the WEC region. And so we actually work together with our neighboring utilities to make sure we're all working together to make sure that there's enough power to go around. If you, know, you ever get to a time of a brownout, there must be some pretty big problems out there. We really take that for granted, don't we? Oh, Flip that uh, switch. Oh, I want to get back to Mimi's toaster in Sun City. 
So we've got all this ginormous power being transmitted through our from our sources, our generating plants, down 6,000 miles of wires. How does that get down to the size she needs it just to warm up a bagel? So we take those 6,000 miles of the high-voltage stuff, and we interconnect it with about 430 substations. So those substations are basically just places where we change the voltage and interconnect the power lines. So you get to those 430 substations, and they then feed out to about 29,000 miles of distribution wires. Those are the wires you see in the neighborhood, the 35-foot pole. A lot of cases it's underground. But it's the one that's going out to all the neighborhoods. And then you take that little transformer. It sits up on top of a pole. It looks like a, uh, like a water jug, like an igloo water jug, maybe a couple feet tall, foot and a half around. And that takes it down to that 120 volts that you actually need to use to make that toaster work. The reason we use high voltage on the front end is because you can, you can move a lot more power a lot more efficiently if you do it at a high voltage. You don't need giant wires. You can make the wires much smaller if you have high voltage. And voltage... To talk about electricity, you've got to talk voltage, amperage, yep, and wattage, right? Yeah, power. Power is wattage, and sometimes we throw a little resistance in that conversation. Ohms. That's right. Okay. So what's that formula? Well, power is equal to current times voltage. So if we want lots of power, we jack the voltage up, then you have less current. And current is what creates, it gives you, when you have resistance, as you up the current, you have more resistance. And if you have more resistance, you have more losses. And we try to minimize those losses by saying, well, put in some real high voltage wires. You can move a whole bunch of power. And as you get closer to the customers, uh, you know, to energize the house, we get it down to that 120 volts, which makes it usable to the customer. So you've got to run the voltage that high to keep the cables that are stretching the 6,000 miles down to a reasonable size. That's exactly right. Okay. So we take it from 500,000? Yep. We start our high, our highest is 500,000 volts. <laughs> no wonder those signs say high voltage on all those lattice towers. No wonder they say don't climb this tower. Yeah, you definitely do not want to climb a tower Good ever. night. Do you have oh. to constantly replace lines, or is that just do they have a long life? Uh, no, the, the light wires last a long time. Um, there are some cases where we have some older copper wires that we're out changing out. But in general, you know, nowadays they make some pretty fancy wires. They'll have a actually a steel core, and then they're wrapped with aluminum. So there's actually no copper in most of those wires. So we then send it to the community substation and take it down from 500,000 to 12,000? That's right, distribution. And send that through the neighborhoods. Yep. Put it into the transformer and take it down to 120 yep. and put it into your service, electric service right. panel. And that's what's good. That's what, well, we actually bring two legs of 120. So you ever get some 240 volt and you're doing yeah, your yeah. air conditioner, yeah, you're yeah, actually yeah. going from one hot leg to the other hot leg. That's how you get the 240 volts is phase to phase. But, but generally what you think about in your outlet is just a single piece of that, um, one of the legs that comes to your house, and that's where you get the 120 volts. As dangerous as it is, it's amazing. It's miraculous. It's as controllable and safe as it is. Yeah, it's exciting stuff, isn't it? It is. So at 120 volts through all the wires through your house, um, you hopefully don't want to ever see electricity, right? If, if you Other see, than you in a yeah, pretty electrical storm, maybe. You know? yeah, Sometimes yeah, yeah, lightning yeah, looks yeah. pretty cool. Way up in the sky. Yep, yeah. yep, far away. But you see electricity in your home, it's arcing. And, and that's not anything you ever want to see. What is that arc? 
That arc is basically uh, the electricity finding some way to get to the Earth. Because electricity actually naturally wants to go from those wires. It wants to get back to the Earth, which you could kind of think of where it came from. Well, see, now we're talking gravity again. Yep, yep, has that, <laughs> that effect. And so electricity wants to find a path to ground. It wants to say, hey, how do I get back to the Earth? And so when you see that arc, that means that conductor, that energized wire, found some way to get back to the Earth. And you just want to make sure you're not in that circuit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But your toaster's doing the same thing. You put 120 volts into your toaster, and it goes through those little red wires in there that get nice and hot, and that's basically electricity on its way back to the earth. And you're using it on the way. Same theory as a lightning bolt, right? Wow. Yeah. That's pretty it's much a, it. Yeah. A lightning bolt is just static electricity from the cloud to a cloud or a cloud to the earth. And it really is amazing how safe it is, and, and we've come up with you know, you had the two-prong back, you were talking yep. about 1881, is that? 1886 is when started. Phoenix Illumination Company? That's correct. Okay. So at that point, we're, we be, yeah, I mean, you're generating electricity, but there's nobody out there with a toaster oven or a television <laughs> or a light bulb. That's right. <laughs> it, it, and it's been a long time, but back in the old days, APS was out there selling the appliances because people didn't really have anything to use electricity. <laughs> That's called supply-side economics. That's right. <laughs> so we've got this electricity, and, and, and I mean, now we can even, now we talk about wireless trans. I mean, it's electricity that is, it's magnetism, it's gravity that's driving all of this physics behind all of our wireless components as well. That's right. Nowadays, you got fancy phone chargers in a new car where you don't even have to plug it in. It just it just has a magnetic field behind it. How many radio waves are we walking through just going out into the backyard and watering our dogs? That question, I'm not sure I know the answer, but I bet it's a big number. Wow. Hmm. So I run along the canals, and i got transmission <laughs> lines right above me. Uh, should I be concerned? <laughs> no, there's a lot of studies that have been done to assess what, that, um, what the effects are. Kind of to Rosie's point, you know, there's magnetic fields all over the place. There's radio waves in the atmosphere. Uh, and there's a lot of studies to substantiate that there is not a health concern living near a high-voltage line. You know, we put them up high enough to make sure that, that that's a safe distance. And what is the buzzing you can sometimes hear when you're close? So we call that corona, actually. It's a, it's, that's the technical term for it. But it's essentially kind of, it's almost like a static electricity. It sounds like static electricity. And, it, and it's, it's basically current kind of leaking off the power lines, if you will, uh, and what we call corona. All right. We're, we're, we're going to keep you a little bit longer and finish wrapping this conversation. I keep you here all four hours. It's uh, Rosie with Jacob Tetlow, Vice President of Transmission and Distribution for APS. It's our Wide Open Road, the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour with Sanderson Ford. Wide Open Road and Wide Open Topics. That's right. Talking electricity. Very, very fortunate this morning to have an electrical expert in, Mr. Jacob Tetlow, Vice President of Transmission and Distribution of Power for APS and new title, Director of Paleo... I can't even say it. Paleontology? Paleontological Resources. Can you spell that for my new business card? (laughs) (laughs) You need a bigger card. (laughs) It, It all starts with fossilized tree resin. It all starts with fossilized tree resin. I guess it starts sometime before that because it existed. That was just the first evidence of him th- seeing it. Yeah. Or this realizing gets, it was something. This I mean, gets complicated. 
electricity. It's complicated. It's amazing how safe it is to think it's in everyone's home, surging through the lines. But we start in 1886. That's right. Phoenix Illumination Company. We're going to put a few street lights up, let people get enamored by that, and figure, well, I'd like to replace my kerosene lamp with one of those bulbs, so can you get some electricity in my house? And we do it knob and tube, two wires through the attic. I still have homes in the historic district that are knob and tube. Hmm. Wow. No ground wire. Okay. So why did we add that third little prong? It makes it safer. It's a better system. Uh, you know, you can have go between two phases, but you really want that ground circuit in there. And it also allows you to do the GFCIs that we talk a lot about, the ground fault current they, interrupters. They became code in, the, I want to say, the 70s. That's right. Okay. That's right. And, 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 and then we've got cycles we can talk about. And, and then the Europeans have, like, a whole other flavor of electricity. They do. They what do they do? They do it a little different than we do. We, we call our system a 60 hertz system, meaning that we're running, like, all that AC power coming to your house. I always tell people the, the light bulb's actually flickering in your house. You just can't tell it because it's flickering 60 times a second. Some people will tell you when they go to Europe, they can almost see the light bulbs flickering because they're only flickering at 50 times a second. So they run a 50 hertz system. We run a 60 hertz system. And then you can have electricity that's AC or you got to come back or DC. I mean, and then and then you're generating exactly what we need for me to listen to my stereo and Mimi to toast her bagel in Sun City. That's right. When you turn the toaster on, we add a little gas to the pedal, and when you when the toaster's done toasting the bagel, we got to back it off a little bit. I, I paint this picture for people. Think of electricity as the water in a river, and, and we're going to take, take it and send it down a canal. Let's call it the Central Arizona Project, okay? And people are siphoning off this water as they need it along this 380-mile-long canal. I need a little electricity here. I need a little water here. But when that water reaches the end of the line at Tucson, we just pump it back into the ground well. That's right. So what do you do with the electricity? It hits the end of the line. Nobody's used it. So we don't really have that option to pump it back into anything. We could put, you know, we are working on some battery systems that we're excited about, and that does give you the ability to store it. But our system isn't built with a large quantity of batteries. So what you really end up doing is you end up adjusting how much power you're making. So when that light is flickering 60 times a second, if there's a whole bunch of, if everybody started their air conditioners, you wouldn't notice it, but it would go down to 59.9 times a second. And so at that point in time, we would then add some more fuel sources to the, to the energy mix, and we would make more electricity. And then when it starts to go, then everybody's air conditioners turned off, and it went to 60.1 cycles a second, we would then slow down some of our generators. So we literally sit there, and we try to adjust our generation fleet and all the energy sources that are connecting to Phoenix. Uh, we adjust it based on what the demand is at that moment in time. And then a storm hits. And then a storm hits. And then somebody doesn't have electricity and they want it back. What is that? What happens on your end when that happens? So much like the complication of uh, making electricity, there's a lot of work that goes into getting the lights back on. You know, we spend all year preparing for monsoon seasons. We we go out and we put in storm hardened poles and, and we do things to feed the system in multiple paths. So sometimes you know you can lose a pole, but it doesn't mean you have to go into the dark. Uh, so we spend a lot of time preparing for the summer run. But when the storm gets here, we have a what we call it incident command. And we, we fire up a whole bunch of employees, and 
And we got we got a lot of great employees at APS that'll get up out of their beds at two o'clock in the morning and they'll leave their family to get out there and brave the weather and, and climb those poles and, and work in what are very hazardous conditions uh, as needed to get the lights back on for our customers. And, you know, Monday night, Sunday night, we had hundreds of employees out there working in bucket trucks, stringing up new wires, putting in new poles, and getting the system rebuilt as quickly as possible to safely get the lights back on for our customers. There's so much we haven't talked about. Jacob, you're going to have to come back. We're out of time. All right. Well, I'm here. I'm ready. Jacob Tetlow, Vice President of Transmission and Distribution. Just a, a completely intriguing job description. Transmission and distribution of nothing you can see. Hmm. Hmm. Y'all stay tuned. We're coming down to earth and getting up in the trees with John Eisenhower from Integrity Tree Service. We call the 8 o'clock hour with John Eisenhower the unstumpable hour. You can't stump us.